Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. This is Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham is spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, Big Meach 41 And now, I can officially say this, on season two, I am now on TikTok, at Alex Meacham 41 This is a special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in this next Bearcat great. He was a key member to the Bearcats Final Four team, which is widely considered the most popular team in Bearcat history. You know what? I'm here to say that they are the most popular team in Bearcat history. Even if you look at the 61-62 national championship teams, great teams, that Final Four team captured the city's heart and one of the key parts to that team and one of the great personalities in all of Cincinnati sports is this guy to my right. He is currently the color commentator for the Bearcat basketball team. And at the end of the day, he is the triple OG of the Bearcat family. (laughs) I'd like to welcome in my guy, number 33, Terry Nelson. Insert the clap track. Okay, cool. All right. (laughs) We can do that. We can do that. Appreciate that intro, bro. No problem. That's true, though. Like, nothing to take away from the 61-62 team. And that was just a different generation. But you guys are the most popular team and popular personalities in Bearcat history. Well, we we gave the fans access. And so that was one of the things that really opened it up for all of us is that um, you know, Channel 9 came down and Channel 12 gave us camcorders and told me and T-Rat to walk around and record everything. Really? Yeah, when we were going on our Was this at the start of the run, season? start of the season, Channel 9 was always, you know, coming to us trying to get interviews. And everybody was always joking and playing around, but they were like, man, go to T-Nail. You know, he's the mouthpiece because mm-hmm. I was doing stand-up comedy and yep. all that. They wanted to come talk to Nick. Nick didn't want to talk. Yep. They wanted to talk to Corey. Corey didn't want to talk. So guys, when games was over, they'd be running out the back doors, trying to sneak out the back door to get out of there because most of them had bought, invited two and three girls to the game, <laughs> right. and they didn't want to see him afterwards. You know, everybody right, wait right, around. Right, right. So they'd go out the back door. And so Tom Hathaway would be looking for people, and he'd be like, Terry, you want to come? I'd be like, absolutely, I want to come. So it'd be like me, Anthony Buford. Couldn't get a herb over there. Yeah. So it'd be me and Anthony Buford, and they'll ask Anthony. Anthony get real serious, and then they'll ask me, and i got to give him some type of comedy answer. And that sort of just sort of stuck with people. And so as we start getting to the tournament, Popovich came up and said, hey, I got this new show, Sports of All Sorts. It was only a year in. He said, would you do me a favor and take this camcorder around – camcorder think about that <laughs> take this camcorder around Kid, and kids are like what what, right, right, right. <laughs> and record everything you do at nighttime give your camcorder or in the morning give it to, to sean who is sean jones the videographer he was on the road with this mm-hmm. he's gonna mix it all up give it back to us so we can follow you guys for the evening news when it was going on so in the morning i would see sean he would give me back the tape 
He'd be like, man, I can't use 95% of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did they think? <laughs> like, what's going to happen? I'm over here filming guys on the toilet, guys in the room with other girls. I mean, you name it. Just... <laughs> Hey, if that footage is still available, man. But 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 Papa, one of the great, great, absolutely great people of Greater Cincinnati, Papa. Um, it, it actually is a was a great idea, if you think about it. Now the execution of it <laughs> is a different story, but definitely a great idea. Oh man, Pop was just. He was trying to, you know, generate some. He was starting a new broadcast yep. with Sports of All Sorts. He was trying to generate some interest, and he said, "Man, I got this loudmouth kid over here <laughs> who was entertaining. I wonder if he would do this." And then when I did it, they were looking at the raw footage in the studio and having like a watch party. <laughs> they were enjoying everything, but they couldn't put it on the air. So when we finally got back from the Final Four. And it was like 30 degrees outside. It was snowing. It was uh-huh. like 500 fans out of the airport waiting on us. And I got a chance to see Popovich, and they were sitting out there. And the guys were just, they were all pointing at me, laughing and smiling because they knew what was going on. Yep. Like, we had a little understanding. You know how you look at somebody, you know what's going on, right. but you really can't say it? Right. And that's how the look that they gave me. I was like, man, that's cool. That's funny. And, and how ironic you end up a, a staple of sports of all sorts. Yeah, he asked me when my career was over in 93, he said, would you like to be a panelist? I've been through four yep. uh, hosts and four set changes. And so it, it went from Popovich to Ken Brew, from Ken Brew to Keenan, from Keenan now to Reggie. And I'm just only one. We went from Jamal, me and Jamal being first, yep. to Jamal leaving to me. Jamal Walker. Jamal Walker. Mm-hmm. And then me, Scott Droud, and Ralph Lee. We did yep. that for 22 years. And then they wow. went off. And then it was just when Ken Brew took over, he said, I just want Terry. So it was me and him. And then every once in a while, some Steve Wolf would come on. Yep. But – here it is, almost 30 years later. I'm still the last panelist on the on the set. That's amazing. But you know what? I, I was thinking about this coming into this podcast, and, and that is the game of basketball has changed so much. And we're going to talk about the Bearcats basketball team here shortly. And we're going to break down the roster. I want to get your opinion on some of the newcomers and some of the guys that are returning. But the thing is this. In today's game, you know, I watched, God, was it the other night they had, like, you know, college games start at noon, like Xavier was on, Ohio State, and all these games. I just don't see the the Terry Nelsons mm. anymore. What do you mean by that? And what I mean by that is, as great as the Final Four team was, and I actually had a conversation with Herb Jones about this. Mm. We were in Indianapolis. I was at an AU tournament, and he was refing, and we sat down, and I talked to him about coming on the podcast, and he and I just started talking. And I talked about how important Herb was to that Final Four run, mm-hmm. like how important a piece. And he mentioned, but you know who brought everything together? That was Tino. Hmm. You brought all those. You talked about Nick Van Exel, and he didn't want to talk to the media. You know, Corey, of course, is, is funny, and he's a personality, but you brought everything together. You were a mouthpiece of that. You did so many of the things that so many other players didn't want to do, didn't know if they were capable of doing. You would mm-hmm. want to defend whoever you had to defend. Right. Um, just don't see a lot of those type of guys, which I think are very crucial to a team's success. Mm-hmm. Um, do you agree with that? I know oh, probably- well, when you find people that will do anything to win, you're going to have a successful team. I gave up once oh, – you mentioned in, in, in your book, uh, Walk of a Lifetime, how you didn't think – like 
being able to take Bob Huggins. Mm -hmm. It's the first time I had a white dude looking at, looking at me, <laughs> calling me everything except my birth certificate name. You know, he just, right. He, he, he given it to you and he's a straight shooter and it was hard for me to stomach it. And I was ready to leave. I went back to California and Corey had to come get me. And Corey was like, man, you can't leave. If you leave, I got to leave. So Corey came to Long Beach. <clears throat> he yeah. came and I was in Brooks College, which mm -hmm. was an all girls dorm uh, college. It was over 400 women and 25 guys. It was a beauty that's and design a, that's college. That's a good odds right there. <laughs> Man. Corey came over there. I'm like Dickie Smalls. I'm in a hot tub. I got like I got like eight women around me. <laughs> Corey, Corey comes over there. Corey was like, good God. I don't want to come back either. He said, you got to come back. But it's when you have this hard, fast line of who you are and what you come to the university for and you're not flexible, a lot of times you end up jumping from university to university mm -hmm. because you'll find a coach who the minute he don't think you can provide what you say you are, he's going to recruit over you. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at our situation. You know, we had four power forwards and Hugs' way of rotating at the time was you did something wrong, you come out, next person go in. So I said, man, how can I get some playing time? How can I make myself, uh, you know, uh, to, the, to the point where – I'm a necessity. Mm -hmm. Eric had big hands. He dunked, but here Eric was kind of lazy at the time. Mm -hmm. Kurt was going through back surgery. John mm -hmm. Jacobs was 285 pounds trying to play power <sighs> forward at the time. Herb Jones was the staple. And I'm like, well, how do I get playing time? Because you had Rock, you had Jeff. That's the center position. I want to play this power forward position. So I decided I was going to do whatever it took. I'm going to play defense. I'm going to look at film. I'm going to know the other person's moves. I'm going to watch everything that they do, and I'm going to take away their strengths and see if they can beat me on their counter, which most guys encounter. Big guys have, you know, drop step and a jump hook. Yep. Or turnaround jump shot. So if you push them off the block, if they catch it on the block and they're shooting 75%, push them off the block two steps. That means they have to get a dribble or two to get into their rhythm. That drops them to 50%. If they like to turn over their left shoulder, make them turn over their right shoulder. Yep. Now it drops to about 30%. Yep. So a guy can be shooting two for 12 and think he's just having a bad shooting night. And I'm like... I'm the reason you had a bad shoot sure, night. I sure. took away what you like to do. Right. But Hugs tried to sit me down and put Eric in the starting lineup in the Tennessee game. And John Lawyer came back and said, it's not the same, you know, because Terry doesn't require the ball. Hmm. So Eric came off the bench. We both played 20 minutes a game. He came off the bench. I was the mm -hmm. starter. Mm -hmm. And it just mixed well. Yeah, sure. Um, that's, that's fascinating. So you – you really tapped into the things that Hugs loves. If you think about it, as much as, you know, Nick had the flash, um, Herb could absolutely score the ball, but if you look at the core of who Bob Huggins is and what he loves, you managed to go, I'm going to tap into that, and that's what's going to give me the playing time. And like I said, you said Corey came out and got you. You were the glue that really brought everything together. And you mentioned something that I do want to dive into quickly, before we get into your family a little bit, um, Walk of a Lifetime, my book, um, we are in the process um, of finishing up the audio version of that, which will be ready for Christmas, which I'm very, very excited about. And in the book, um, I talk about one of my basketball mentors, that if it wasn't for this gentleman, I would not, I'm going to say this, <clears throat> I would not have made it to the Bearcats basketball team. And that is Jerome Gray, who was a former walk-on yes. for the Bearcat basketball team. And Jay he, Fresh. Jay Fresh is heavily involved in my book. He was heavily involved in my process to walk on. And he had some parts in my audio book um, that Jerome has passed away. And he couldn't be here mm. to, to actually say his parts. So I asked you, Terry, to, to, right. 
to say Jerome's parts because you were close to him. Yeah. If you want to talk about Jay Fresh. Yeah, Jay Fresh, you know, he would show up to practice and he was always late for practice because he was in design school. <laughs> he you was. Know? He was in DAP. And so he was in DAP program and he would come and practice would be almost, you know, 45 minutes to go left in practice. He'd come out and he'd be on the sidelines shooting and then one day he was doing a warm-up drill, you know, going half court, do a layup, free throw line layup, and then he finished with a dunk and he broke the rim. And he was like looking at the coach and he was like scared because uh-huh. he was a walk-on and he broke yeah, the rim. Yeah. And he looked and he said, um, Coach Hudge, I need to, and he talked to you. He goes, what? He goes, you know, I was, you know, getting the warm-up, and I, I dunked the ball and broke the rim. And Hugs looked at him, and so Hugs started laughing. I was like, congratulations. Like, he was really scared <laughs> yeah, right. that he, something was going to happen. Right. But that's just Jay Fresh. And, yeah. And so when we go to – he gets married, and he asked me to say some some words at his, uh, at, his, at his marriage, at the wedding. And I stood up, and I said, here's a man who – put everything into what he does. They said he is selfless. He is funny. He is our team barber. It takes about an hour and a half to get a haircut. But <laughs> other than that, because, you know, he, he's such a perfectionist, but he would be late because he would be coming from DAP. Yep. And I said, he was always putting in that work. I said, but look at him now. He's getting married to the woman of his dreams and he's wearing a tuxedo that he made. Yeah. And everybody was like, oh, that's great how it went full circle. Yeah. And then he used to come over when, when you know, our career was over. He would come over, and once a month we would have, uh, we would have a big bottle of wine, mm-hmm. and we would have crab legs, and we would just sit and just have a bunch of crab legs, mm-hmm. bottle of wine, and just chop it up and talk about because you know he was in the internet business and different things mm-hmm. of that nature and trying to find mailbox money, and so we would sit <laughs> over there and always sit over there and try to scheme and talk about what yep. we were gonna do. But he was just as real as they come. No question. I got a Jay Fresh story for you. So. When I was preparing to walk on, you know, he was preparing me physically, right? So we would we would work out, and I got Seven Hills High School. I got the keys to the gym, and he told me, he says, hey, here's what we're going to do. You're going to meet me up there on Friday at 12 a.m. I had the keys. We can get in there anytime we want it. And I was like, Friday, 12 a.m.? All right, I'll be there. Boom, get there. We would do our workout to like 2 See you tomorrow, Saturday, 12 a.m. And he always scheduled these bizarre 12, 1 a.m. workouts. Well, come to find out later on, he was testing me because I lived on Stratford where there's the ATO fraternity house, SIGAP, there's all the sororities. Friday and Saturday night, you know what's going on. It's popping on Stratford. You already know. He was testing me. He was seeing where I was mentally at because when you play basketball, you have to sacrifice a lot. That's right. You're tested. So when I passed that test, he then said, to be a walk-on or even to play for UC, it's more than the physical. It's about the mental. So now we're going to tap into that. i never forget this. He sat me down. He says, I want you to watch somebody. I want you to study somebody. Allen Iverson. And I was like, Okay, yeah, I know, I know who I know who he is. Yeah. Like I'm a Michael Jordan fan, right? right? right. You know, kind of watch. Did he cross my idol? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like he right. was like, I want you to watch how he plays. And I'm like, okay, why? He goes, he's got this dog in him. Like if you look in the history of basketball, and I hadn't really followed AI to that point, but if you look at, I mean, AI's. 5'11", maybe six feet. Mm-hmm. But if you look, man, 
the heart and the way he played mm. against whoever he went after. He was looking to kill them. He was like, you have to have that mentality to play basketball for UC. Mm-hmm. So what I did, I video VHS. Once again, these kids are going to be like, what is a VHS? <laughs> I recorded AI games, and I created a notepad in which I wrote down everything mm-hmm. AI did. Mm-hmm. I started studying his footwork, everything. And I came back to Jay Fresh. <clears throat> i never forget this. I came back to him and I said, Fresh, man, I discovered something. He's like, what'd you discover? I was like, AI, when he does his crossover. He's like, okay, what'd you figure out? I was like, it has nothing to do with the ball or his hands. And Jay Fresh just starts smiling. His lips go to the side. You know how he did? <laughs> yes. He's like, keep, keep going. And I was like, he stepped right hard to set up the defender. Defender starts going that way. Hard cross, big step going towards the basket. I said, the movement with the ball and how far he puts the, that's yeah. all That's all icing on the cake. That's right. window dress. The real action is his footwork. Mm-hmm. He was a magician mm-hmm. with his footwork. And I took notes on it and I discovered it. Mm. So... Our preparation then became a lot of mastering the footwork. And I think about Steve Logan, one of the greats to play for UC. Mm. Steve was never in Division One elite shape. Will you agree with that? Facts. But his IQ, his footwork. Old man game. By, old man game. And understanding. The understanding <laughs> of it was so beyond elite. Mm-hmm. And those things will help you when you physically, like, I just don't match up with the Melvin Levitt, a Dewan Baker, Reuben Patterson, but there are ways you can compete. Man, I thank Jay Fresh to this day for that lesson. Mm. And you could take that lesson anywhere. Yep. I mean, when you you you're in the media now and you're crossing over, I mean, you did boxing and you do a lot of mm-hmm. like your hand is in in a lot of stuff. And so, but the foundation is pop the tape in. We don't have tapes anymore, but. <laughs> Pop on the video (laughs) and study. Yep. And study the grace before you. I've learned to not try to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. Is to take what somebody else has done that's successful, study. And um, I think it was uh, one of my friends in the media told me this a long time ago. He said, um, you're either an innovator or you're a thief. Mm. He said, and the greats are both. Mm. You have to be able to steal what somebody like else that. did and make it your own. Yep, for sure. And so if you need a, t- you know, even in, in Microsoft and Apple, they have, when you start to build a website, there's templates for people that don't, don't, can't look at it and say, I need a blank, 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 fill in the blank, take this out. Well, as athletes and as people in life, find somebody that's doing what you're doing, study as much as you can. Make the game slow down to you to where you're seeing stuff that not everybody else is seeing. You mm-hmm. saw the, the footwork. Everybody else sees the crossover and yep, absolutely. people falling. You saw the footwork, the, the, the step through, the acceleration off the back foot. You saw it because you saw it. And once you see something, you can't unsee mm, it. Exactly. It's like you, you move into a different portal. Yep. And that's what, did, that's what UC basketball and Bob Huggins did for me was once I learned the game and, and the increments of – Post defense, and you know most bigs do two dribbles and they do a drop step. Mm-hmm. On the second dribble, I'm gonna jump to that side and beat you there, and then I'm gonna scare you because you don't know I'm there. Mm-hmm. Brian Grant on the first play of the Xavier Crosstown shootout in 1993, he's guarding me. We're in fifth third arena. I'm guarding him in fifth third arena, 
and they threw the ball to him on the ISO, and he was waiting on a double team, and no double team came. So he took two dribbles, and he was going to turn baseline and shoot his padded off the glass bank shot. But when he did it, I was there. He hit me. I flew back like I've been hit by a mm-hmm. truck. And the ref calls an offensive foul. He just looks at me <laughs> and shakes his head. And I give him a wink, and I said, I know all yep. your moves, player. But yep. you can't. So when you say break stuff down into where you see it, you just can't unsee what you've saw. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I want to segue that into um, talking about your family. Um, obviously, you've had a lot of success with, with basketball as a player after basketball. Can you talk a little bit about which, you know, at the end of the day, your, your, your biggest success will always be um, your family. Can you talk about your family a little bit? Yeah, so I got a 16-year-old girl who's super ambitious. Everybody knows the first child is the one that's full of ambition. It's the one that's always, you know, she wants to prove. She's the one that's been having to babysit the younger ones. She's had to act more mature than everybody else because the, the, the parents expect you to, since you're the oldest, to act a certain way, to do it a certain way. You're the oldest child. So at 16, she was at Walnut, decided to she wants to homeschool, And now she wants to graduate early. She wants to take all of her summer and and do her junior year. She's a sophomore now online. So next year she can graduate as a senior at 17 and join the Army. I'm like, slow down, player. (laughs) (laughs) Slow that down. Let's get you into real estate or something. She she went on a couple trips with me, real estate, looking at houses, and she likes it. And I'm like, you know what? You like it, but she wants to be a she wanted to be a bioweapons expert. And then she's like, no, nah, I want to be a soldier. Wow. I'm like, well, you want no limit soldier? Or you want to be a, like a real <laughs> army? Uh. Army. <laughs> army soldier. So we're still kind of working on that. Did and you then, did you ever expect that from your daughter? You know. But all she does is watch crime movies. So she's you know, whether it be CSI, uh, The Mentalists, mm. uh, you name it, you know, like Blacklist. You know, she, Stu, you hear this? Yeah. My, my producer, <laughs> Stu Holt, he knows how I am about that. I love that stuff, too. That's how I wrote my first book. I was on my L.A. Law, yeah. my Law and Order and all that stuff, doing all that. So you, you learn to go from one scene to the next without having to really take this scene with you. You can just leave that there, go to this scene. Yep. So it's kind of cool. Then you got TJ, who is... Um, you know, he's he's my athlete and TikTok star. I mean, this dude, this dude, when I say famous, he got a level of fame on TikTok that I've never reached in my life. And I'm still on TV, you know, doing radio and TV. This dude did That's one a video. different audience. It was a rate. You know what? It was, they were about to play uh, Aiken in football and it was rained out. It was lightning and all this stuff. So they're in the locker room shooting TikTok videos in their uniform. It's a part of a song or a trend that they were yeah. doing this video think it's over 10 million views wow uh, wow you know and he got a check for it <laughs> wow <laughs> you're over there like man i've been busting my oh, ass my doing this that. right i'm like yeah this dude <laughs> so but he he's he's infatuated with dk metcalf mm-hmm. you know so yep. he, he's like by the time i'm a junior i want to look like that i want my yeah. chest big and I'm, so he decided to give up basketball we're going to work on foot speed and agility mm-hmm. and all this other stuff maybe i'll get him with me get him some boxing let's go all this other stuff and so Let's that's go. the guy who's my athlete. And then my youngest can't stand sports. She she likes to be in the kitchen. And so COVID has, you know, hasn't really helped her conditioning uh-huh. at all, you know, because she don't she don't like exercise unless she goes with me. Mm-hmm. But she can cook. She can she likes recipes. 
you know, every two weeks I'll give them money to go to Kroger to buy their own personal uh-huh. groceries they can have. She has like a list of recipes she's going. She goes, uh-huh. I need, can you find this for me? Can you find? And she's going in there and she's making these recipes for the house. Like yeah. She likes to cook for the house. And so I said, okay, then maybe we get, I'm trying to find their niche. As fathers and as athletes, you instantly gravitate towards the athlete and say, you know, I want this person to get this personal trainer. I want this person to have this type of person in their life to help mentor them. But often the non-athletes in the family get overlooked. So I'm trying to find a way to connect them, whatever their career choice is, to connect mentors and role models that they can go and hang with because I don't have to. You know, the beauty of the life that God has blessed me with is that I have a lot of influence in my life, a lot of people that I know. You're very connected. I'm very connected. So why not use those resources to help my children on the path that they want to take? Absolutely. You're always taking athletes around and meeting people. Every game you got somebody introducing them, shake his hand, tell them who you are. Yep, for sure. You're you're forcing them into being social, which a lot of them get their head down in their phone. 100%. And you're always saying, hey, let's take a picture with this person. You know who this is? And when you give... You give the greatest introduction. You be like, "Hey, this is Terry playing the Final Four team. This, mm-hmm. this, this," and you you lay it out for the person for the person to look and like, "Wow, okay, yeah, yeah can I get a picture?" Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of influence I want to have on my daughters for sure. And and man, you've you've hit a lot of things. Um, and, and I want to touch on this a little bit. Letting your child, children find their own path yeah. right and you helping them with that path and and not saying i'm terry nelson you should play basketball right you know you don't have i was watching an interview uh, shannon sharp um has a podcast mm-hmm. club shay shay and he just interviewed king griffey <laughs> jr and king griffey's talking about his kids and not making his kids live up to the expectation of him and his father king griffey senior Hall of Famer, you know, you don't have to be that. Find your own path and be a Hall of Famer in your own path. And I think more parents that discovered that, I think, see more success and in, in better relationships with their children in the mm-hmm. long run. I have seen far too many, you know, parents try to make their children be what they want them to be mm-hmm. or be similar to what they are. And you just can't do that. I think on a collegiate level, I maxed out what I was I had a chance to um, either leave to try to be a better score or get more opportunities to score or I wanted to be a winner and I said I want to I want to be a winner yep I don't want to keep I had found my home I found my brothers which was my family and I said I want to grow with them and I want to do something special that I've never done I've always been like one of the best players on bad teams hmm and I said, I just, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to experience winning. I want to mm-hmm. experience going in a tournament. I hate being in the stands watching tournaments when I'm still a player. Yep. It's like you go, you know, you're in the AAU circuit, you're sitting around and everybody's watching the big game. Yep. You know, as a, you start advancing, everybody starts crowding around and saying, watch this guy, watch this guy. And what happens is that obviously there is a carrot that draws people. There's this talented top five, top 10 player. But what you don't see is the power forward who got 15 rebounds mm-hmm. or somebody who got a block shot playing tough defense. He'd be like, man, that dude, he's mm-hmm. got to be getting recruited. Yep. You you come to see one and you end up falling in love with someone else. Yep. And I'm like, I hated to be the guy sitting around watching people. Like I wanted to experience winning. And so when I got to UC and I said, this is, this is it. I'll do whatever it takes to keep it. It's like a drug. It's mm-hmm. like once you win and we were popping in the top 25 at South Florida, we like 24, it's like halfway through the season. 
And we popped in, and all of a sudden, people were meeting us in the hotel room with UC stuff on. Mm. I said, this is what it's like. <laughs> we start going on the road, and you start now seeing the section right. with UC. They didn't come with us. Yeah. It's like, where are these people? Where do you get the gear, first of all? Because you go to the Cincinnati airport, there's Notre Dame stuff, there's yep. Kentucky stuff, yep. there's no X or UC. And I'm like, where are they getting this uniform stuff from? But they're finding it. And it's like, I, I want this. I want to continue to win because I want to be a part of that culture. Yep. I would say this. I'm, I'm going to venture to say this, that your team, your group, made that C. Paul nationally known. I mean, if you look at Dr. Dre, Tupac, there have been many hip-hop artists on a national level that were rocking that C. Paul because of you guys. Funny story. Uh, got to UC, had a bunch of stuff. So my friends, uh, Warren G. went to high school with Snoop Dogg. Uh, Warren G. is from Long Beach. He went to a different high school, Jordan High School. Nate Dogg was on my basketball team. He was on my JV team. So, Nate Dogg was? <clears throat> Navy. So JV team. So in, when I was in high school, ninth grade, the first year that we had ninth grade as a high school, Willie McGinnis was on our team. Okay. And so Willie, he was starting at center, which means I didn't have to play center. He was starting at center, but he was also the starting defensive end on our nasty ranked high school football team as a freshman. And so being able to see these guys, and I sent back a box of stuff to the Twins. Warren G produced a group called the Twins. Yep. And so we Remember them. chat to this day. So I sent back a, some hats, um, jerseys, stuff back to them so when they were in the studio the box came they opened it up and dre took one of the hats mm. and said oh i'm rocking this one yep and he took the hat and the shooting shirt pop ended up taking it years later yeah and so when you see when dre came on mtv, M MTV and he raps. had that hit that part, everybody's like where you get that hat on where you get that and yep. it just so happened that we were starting to get more espn games yep and people say that's the hat. They start connecting two and two. And before you know it, we were, you know, Jumpman and all the other stuff. It just yep. became like a national thing. Like we had the colors, black, red, and white. Yep. We had the image, which it could have been, you could have been a blood, a crip, anything. <laughs> and you could still rock that hat, yeah. you know, because we had so many variations of it and it became national. Absolutely. I, that's why I point back to your guys' team. Uh, changed so much for the Bearcat basketball program, which is a great segue to talk about this season the 2020-2021 Bearcat basketball team. But first I want to talk about the job that Coach John Brandon's doing. Uh, Justin Williams from The Athletic just wrote an article about Coach Brandon and what he went through last year. And there was a point um, in reading the article in which, man, it like I had to stop reading it and I kind of like, you know, dazed off to the side and it was really, really starting to hit me. And he's talking about losing his father you know, during a difficult season and they were playing Houston and his father had just passed away. Funeral's about to happen. They lose a tough game to Houston and Coach Brandon like breaks down. And he falls down in the hallway after the game and he was just that struck by emotion and, and his wife, Lisa, Lisa Brandon, talks about seeing her husband like, mm -hmm. you know, this big, tall figure who's supposed to be a man of power and is just laying on the ground just it just it really hit me it hit me hard and um reading that article i learned a lot about coach brandon i know a lot about him but learned a lot more about him and i think bearcat fans got to see him in also a different light and you know we look at as bearcat fans wins and losses mm. but there's something to building a program and something even bigger and i think coach branding is 
bringing something even bigger to the Bearcat basketball program. What are your thoughts on him at this point? I know special people. He's a special man. Um, just I, I was I had to interview him after the game. The Dan, Houston game? After the Houston wow. game. Dan said, can you go your microphone go in the hallway and interview him because he was doing the wrap-up and we had to hurry up and get out of there because we were leaving. So his wife was in there consoling him and I got the microphone and I'm interviewing him and I don't know what to say. You wait, know? wait, wait. So he's he's there and she's like... She's right next to him. And so and he's, interviewing in, him. he's in the wow. hallway. He's doing all these interviews with all these different stations. And I'm like, can I get your post-game remarks here? And he came out. He addressed people. Um, and it was tough. And here's the here's the uh, the tough part about it. Lisa and the kids were because they came on that trip. They were leaving after the game to go to the funeral. Mm. We left from there to go to South Florida. Mm. He didn't even get a chance to to mm. mourn his father yep. properly. He had to stay in game mode and go directly from that game to the next. So imagine that you're dealing with. Um, Jaron and the issues of this is my team. I should be getting all the shots. <laughs> um, trying to figure out how we're gonna, you know, put the pieces together. He he totally changed the system. Yep. For that particular team, that was not a John Brennan uh, system. Yep. It was we got to find a way to put the ball in the hands of Jaron and make it happen because Jaron doesn't move without the ball. He's not gonna get you offensive yep. rebounds. Like, I gotta I gotta do whatever I gotta do. I gotta deal with that. I got the health issues of my father. Then his father passes, and like all these things were coming, yep. and you put all that together, and he still comes out with a conference championship in his first year when everybody thought that this team would fall off yep. without Mick Cronin, and he just—it's like, you know, your producer's name is Stu. I said you put everything in the in the pot. <laughs> Stu is just like gumbo. You throw everything in yep. there, and all of a sudden it comes out sweet. Yep. And so with with John Brennan to put the team together that he had that he inherited. Put some freshmen in there, put some bigs in there, put some transfers in there, and come out on this first season with a you know share of a conference championship. Something that Cincinnati is accustomed to. It's like that was the ground floor. And anybody who can go through that with the emotion that he had to deal with and still have the mental acuity to come up with a conference championship, get guys to believe enough mm-hmm. to come up with a conference championship when everybody is gunning for UC, mm-hmm. Memphis. Houston, yep. and then all the other ones that you know they had no chance of, mm-hmm. of getting in there, South Florida and all them. Other, yeah, they coming for UC. And then to to knock those guys out the way, we're going for another conference tournament championship, and then COVID hit. Yeah, that was tough. I remember I texted you because you guys flew to, um, was it Fort Worth? Is that the airport yep. you flew? Yep. It was the Meacham Airport yep. because you That's actually right. took, took a picture <laughs> and sent it to me. Yeah, the me- I, uh, anytime anyone flies into that, I, I, they send it to me. They're like, I'm like, yeah, I got my own airport. Right, you know, right, right, right. No, I, I don't, but um, yeah, that, that's got to be tough. I mean, he goes, he goes through all that personally. The team goes through um, a lot of adversity, and then, you know, talking to Trey Scott after the season, he's like man, I, th- I really think we were hitting our stride. Like, mm-hmm. right at that point, I really think we would have done some great things. And that's just tough to, you know, kind of end the season that way. However, um, I-, I feel like last season, Coach Brandon didn't have a chance really to coach that team. He managed that team. I feel like this year, this will be the team that he's able to coach, right? This is like, we're not there yet. He's still building – He's still building a lot of his pieces, but I feel like he can coach this squad um, this year. And I want to talk a little bit about this team. Um, have you had a chance to 
you know, watch some of the newcomers or, or hear anything about some of the new guys? I haven't been in the gym. I've I know, been keeping been... that tight. Um, but I do officiate with D. Davenport, yeah. Jeremiah Davenport's father. And, you know, in between games and in between, you know, halftime and all that <laughs> stuff, he sits and he goes, Jeremiah, tell me, man, the point guard battle is strong. Mm. It is strong. It's getting heated. Um, a lot of the guys are getting uncomfortable with being poked and prodded by coach. You mentioned something that you don't even know how accurate you are when you said last year coach managed that team. Mm -hmm. It came; Those words came out of his mouth. Mm. Like he said, I'm just managing this team. Yep. You know, because they were set wow. their ways. It was going to be Jaron's way. Yep. Or whatever. And so coach was like, we, we, I have to play him. I don't want to, you know, do him, you know, make him transfer or sit him down. So to make the team work, he put the ball in his hands. They're so coach Brandon is so heavy in analytics mm -hmm. that the analytics say in a 30 game season, every, you know, you get five increments of six games and those five increments of six games, you can determine, you have data points. Now mm -hmm. you can determine what adjustments you need to make because it takes about six games to make enough, get, gather enough information to go, make the adjustments. Mm -hmm. So McNeil, Chris McNeil was the point guard for the first six games. It's like, man, he can't shoot. This is a great defender, but man, he shoot like 8% from the floor and all, man, he's just, yeah. and then all of a sudden you have your data and you say, you know what? We're kind of better looking at what we are with Jaron with this ball in the hands. We're going to put the ball in the hand. At that point, he broke everything down, put the ball in the hands of Jaron. Everything's got to be a pick and roll of some kind because you know, if you give it to Jaron, Jaron's going to right, left, right, left, right, left, try mm -hmm. to cross you, get to his strong hand, mm -hmm. jump into you and get the end one. Yep. And when you do that, everybody's watching. And that's not how Brandon wants. Brandon wants the ball move from left to right, left to right. Yep. So he had to manage the team because Jaron's going to make the right basketball play. Yep, for sure. Yeah. At the same time, everybody else is going to be watching. They're going to stand around. And that is, that's a great point. So I remember being at the first UC game last year mm -hmm. and everyone that i was sitting around was like oh my god the ball's moving like everyone's like and one time i think you see um i can't remember they had passed it around like six or seven times the ball's moving i think they were playing thomas moore and then somebody made a cut, boom, hit him back door layup, and the whole crowd's like that's right we've never yeah, right. seen okay. this like <laughs> wow but then it, you know, he, he, like you said, after the analytics came through, okay, we got to kind of switch things up. And mm -hmm. we didn't see as much of that ball movement. And I'm hoping, you know, moving forward with this team and, and you know, teams moving forward with, with John Brandon, we'll be able to see some of the offensive things that he has in mind. Because if you look at it, like I was watching college basketball last couple of days and, man, there's some really bad offensive college basketball teams tough to watch like like Virginia and I was tweeting about Virginia like how they could have that much talent and are scoring in the 40s and the game I watched it's they crazy. lost they scored in the 60s but I mean it's just like it's crazy oh and then you watch Gonzaga which I think's more like the future of basketball and something I think coach Brandon would like to get to Gonzaga's absolutely fun amazing to watch the way they move shoot and so um you mm -hmm. mentioned the guard play um, Tino, um, let's talk about David DeJulius. I'm always messing up his name. David DeJulius uh, from Detroit, um, transferred from Michigan. Um, a lot of people are saying that he's going to be the point guard for the, for this basketball team. He's going to be running the show. Um, I'm not sure what all happened 
at uh, Michigan. I'm sure with Juwan Howard coming in as a new coach, maybe they didn't have the same philosophy. But um, I'm—I don't know if you're getting the same intel that I'm getting that he's probably going to be the point guard to to lead this team. Big, strong, powerful, experienced, um, poised. Mm. Yes. He's he's definitely you know, one thing about John Brandon that you have to be uh, cognizant of is it's not about the starting five it's about the starting ten because <clears> you know he plays yeah. everybody's got to have yep. somebody that is interchangeable because his system doesn't allow drop offs yeah so if he takes Chris Vote out and if he's putting in uh, David Rask uh, you know I forgot his last <laughs> I can't even pronounce it all the time the um Rapalus. Oh, oh, rap, big rap. Yeah. Yeah. So big when rap. he comes in, he can face the floor. Yeah. He can shoot the three. He can, you know, put it down a dribble or two. He got the old man moves back out, mm-hmm. face up game. He's really crafty in the post as a as a player and a passer. He's a different player. So you're gonna run different stuff for him. When he get it could be the same motion side to side, but when he catches the ball, you're gonna see a different action mm-hmm. because when he catches it, you're gonna be more cutters catching off it because he can go. When Chris Volt gets the ball, you get out of the way because Chris going to back you down, back you down, back you down, spin, <laughs> put it up with the left hand. Yeah, yep, so, <laughs> back and down. Yep. So it depends on the, the 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 personnel you have on the floor. The guards are going to match up perfectly with what you have on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 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 they're sprinters. The speed of the game is going to look much faster. You're going to see more transition offense to where they're not just catching the ball, going to half court letting everybody set up. No, it's going to be, we got it on a fast break, throw it to the wing, guard cut all the way through, next guy come to an on-the-ball screen, get through it. Like, it's going to be continual motion mm. to where you're going to put pressure on you, and when you get tired, we're going to bring two, three more guys in, but we're going to keep the action on you because we don't necessarily want you to rest. And more chaos, more pressing uh, after made, more organized confusion after misses, mm-hmm. where... We already know that we got to have two passers, two anticipators, and one protector at all times. Mm-hmm. Whether that be in a, on a make situation or a miss situation, you're going to see now guys that are more able to make the reaction to make it look like chaos, but the offense or the Bearcats know where they're supposed to be at all mm-hmm. times. And that's the kind of style he wants to play. Mm, I like it. I'm, I'm ready to watch these guys. Uh, Wednesday versus Lipscomb will be the first. first game. Are you, now, are you doing the game? Yes. Okay. So it's going to be a little How, different. How's that work? <laughs> yeah, so Dan and I we were texting yesterday. Back and forth. And this year, we're not going to be traveling with the team. So we're going to be on the court for home games, you know, on our little dividers and uh-huh. our little booths. But on the road games, we're going to be at Fifth Third Arena, most likely, watching it from a monitor, broadcasting from there. Wow. The road games. Wow. Yeah, so that's going to be. That's going to be interesting. Uh, <laughs> I like to, that... you know, I like to travel because, you know, Dan and I, Dan likes to get out and do his run, especially in the Florida towns or wherever we go. We go to Tulsa, whatever. I get out and I walk the area. I do. I'm a morning guy. I get out and I do a four-mile walk around downtown area. Not going to get that this year, understandable. So they're going to try to distance us as far as we can from the players in hopes of getting a full season out. Mm. Limit the exposure that these yeah. guys are having. And they got to be really disciplined because it's easy to invite girls over your, your crib and all this other <laughs> stuff. And you don't know if they got it. If they right, look good, right. you, there ain't no aura. You Man. can't see green, orange. Yeah, you can't right, see, right. They need to come out with some COVID glasses where you can see the aura of people. Because if you can see they orange, green, or red, you got to stay away from them people. Right. Yeah. I need some glasses just to keep me away from some... <laughs> Bad. <laughs> just like, oh, nope, stay away from them. Yeah, here you go. Meet the stuff you coming out with. You might be the inventor of that. You, might, you just never know. 
Never know. I need to get to work on that. <laughs> now, you, you mentioned something. You were talking about rap. We're going to just call him rap because I, I can't pronounce Here you go. This, this. I got to talk with him. I watched an interview with him. Um, I, I want to say that Go Bearcats uh, web or uh, Twitter put it out, um, and they were interviewing rap. Man, he was impressive. Yes. Just hearing him talk through the game. Thoughtful. Yeah, and, and I feel like he's going to be a guy that connects immediately with Coach Brandon on the court and will help bring some of these guys together. I think he's going to bring a level of maturity and poise to the team that even some of the guys returning don't have. And he'll he'll help Jeremiah Davenport will benefit from a kid like this. Yeah. So I'm definitely excited to see what he could do. Like you said, he could face up. He could do a multitude of things. Yeah, but it's, and he's going to make everybody around him better because yeah. – he, he's not just a back-to-the-basket player. When he faces up, he can see cutters. Yep. He can hit the three. Yep. Uh, he can manipulate the defense because now the big who's guarding him, whether he's at the four or the five, if you're, playing, if you're having him come off the bench, then he's going to be a guy that's going to bring instant energy. You can start Mamadou at the four because he's experienced. He's mm-hmm. coming into his third year. Him, you can either start or you can bring off the bench. And I think you, you probably bring him off the bench so you have an experienced guy because when you got a freshman coming off the bench as your number one player, first thing they think about is getting buckets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got to come over and get buckets. I got to show. I got score. Yeah. I got score right away. Yep. Yeah. When you got a veteran guy, he's thinking about how can I make this thing, you know, how, how can we not Execution. only score, how can we execute? Yep. Can I be a leader on the floor? Totally can agree I with that. have somebody at the free safety position as a low post player calling out on the ball screens, calling out back picks? Like, you got to have somebody that communicates well. And the beauty of this team is, or the detriment, depending on how you want to look at it, is Chris Volt and Keith Williams are your two returning players. Mm-hmm. But both of them were burned down in a house fire because they ain't going to say nothing to nobody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Just, it's, they, they, they don't talk much. So you talk about your they're not going to be your vocal leaders. Your leaders are going to be your freshmen, your transfers, and hopefully, if they can get some of that, uh, you know, from their from their guard play with David, DeJulius, if they can get some of that from him, being a starting point guard along with Micah Adams, Micah will talk a little bit more. Maybe his voice has grown since his freshman, you know, because he don't have that dominating presence of Trey, because Trey did all the talking last year. Yes, you yes. Know, even Jaron didn't didn't talk much. You know, Trey did all the talking, but who's going to be the voice? Tari is going to be. I know his mom is, but Tari, <laughs> she'll tweet about it. She, she, she is. She's the real deal. She yeah. is prolific in her Twitter. Yeah, for sure. So, but Tari is a guy who I really, really love as an athlete, and I love his his motor. And I think when people see that, it's easy. We always try to compare players to our past players. Yep, absolutely. And I hope we don't do that because he is just special in himself. Yeah. Yeah, that that's very easy to do. You always want to compare to the to the last group of guys and some of these guys they're they're their own individual person. Um one thing I do want to dive into, um you were talking about Chris Vote a little bit. Um and I spoke about this on my two podcasts ago when I was doing a breakdown of this year's roster and I want to ask your opinion on this. Um, one of the things that I would like to see from Chris vote to improve on this year is his passing out of the post. Um, I think there were times last season where I don't think they passed Chris the ball enough in the post. And sometimes, you know how it is, you played this, sometimes teammates purposely don't pass to a guy. 
for a multitude of reasons. Um, I would like to see as the ball goes in the Chris, because he's so big, seven foot two sixty, you know, the ball gets thrown to him. There's going to be double teams coming from other areas, and for him to recognize and be able to not just pass out of the post, but make the right pass out of the post. Because if you catch it and a double comes off a non-shooter, you know, it's like, uh, I'm going to pass it to a non-shooter right there. I don't know. But that non-shooter waits a second, then cuts, and then you hit him. Things like little nuances of the game. Do you see that with Chris? Is that an improvement that you see he needs to make? And, and what are some of the improvements you think he needs to make also that could help this team? Patience. <clears throat> Patience in the post. Catching the ball on the block, quarter turning, putting that ball maybe in one hand as you face, using your left arm to shield the defense, and sort of looking like a quarterback, watching the cutters come, the back screens that are happening to get your three-point shooters going, and then maybe take your dribble or two and get into it. Last year, he caught the ball. First thing he did was put his head down and start backing you in so he couldn't see the cutters. He couldn't mm. see Keith. Keith is one of the best cutters in college Absolutely. basketball. He just doesn't stand still. He's like he cuts with the intent to catch and score and dunk. Whereas you couldn't do it because first thing Chris did was put his head down. So becoming more of a veteran player, uh, you know, sitting with Rap in practice and seeing how he plays. You know, you assimilation, quick story of Shamu the Whale back in 1977 when when, um, SeaWorld was about to launch Mm -hmm. this new whale, killer whale. And they were weeks before they were about to open up. And all of a sudden, she had a baby. And I was like, well, how in the heck? This is going to mess everything up. But everything that they did with Shamu, the baby did right next to her. They said, hop on the platform, spread your fins. The baby will get up there and do the same thing. So whatever mom did, the baby did. It just shows you in not just human nature, but in animal nature, assimilation is everything. You can find somebody to model and find what they're doing which Jerome did for you, mm-hmm. you end up doing the same thing. So when you get seniors with bad work habits, <laughs> the freshmen going to come in and think they can do the exact same thing. Yep, absolutely. So if you find somebody like Rap who has been successful, player of the year in a different conference, all of a sudden coming to UC, he has this feeling like, man, I want to get better. I want to score. I want to win. I want to play on big games and big moments. So he's going to bring a different element. And so when Chris sees that every day in practice, He's going to take a little bit from it. Now, he may not change his entire game, but part of his game is, you know this being uh, director of a whole basketball organization, sometimes you got to put the dribbling glasses on. <laughs> right, you know, right, where you can't right, see right, enough below you. Right. you got to keep your head up. Right. And I think if I was in practice with the coach, not just the mask, because they're practicing with these masks on, yep. I would have him with dribbling glasses on to take away his vision, everything from below his nose mm-hmm. to where he has to keep his eyes up and he has to play at least a 10-minute drill with these with these dribbling glasses on because vision is important for bigs. Mm. Because if you make the right pass, the defense is going to rotate to where that is It gets you closer to rebound position. Three out of four missed shots go to the opposite side. Mm-hmm. So when that shot goes up, if you get a big or two on the opposite side, you're going to kill on the rebound. And so if he can be a better passer, weak side passer, because everybody's want to shade him, he's going to get some double teams this year. If he would have had five more shot attempts, he would have been number four in college basketball in, in shooting percentage. He was shooting 68% from the floor. Hmm. But he needed 500 attempts, I believe, to, yeah. to qualify. He needed to get four or something. But he, he had he, the ability to, to be one of the top in the country. So when they look at those stats from last year, they're going to be like, well, wait a minute. They're going to see some highlights. Double teams are going to come early on, especially against mm-hmm. a smaller team like a Lipscomb. Absolutely. Next time I see Chris, I'm going to say to Chris, are you familiar with Shamu? <laughs> and I'm going to be like, who? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> 
looking up like, who is she? Like, no, nah, don't be messing with no girl named Shamu. Uh, just um, say, pop the VCR in. <laughs> pop the tape in. <laughs> you just mentioned somebody, and I, I want to talk about um, leadership, and that's Keith Williams. Um, Keith has never been a vocal leader. Mm-mm. Of all the years, this is the year for Keith Williams to be a vocal leader. He's by far the most athletic guy on this basketball team, and one of, I think, one of the most athletic guys in college basketball. You're so on point. I mean, do you think he's capable of being that vocal leader this season? And and, and listen to me when I say this. I don't think he's going to be a Trey Scott. Mm -hmm. And that's a special personality. That's very natural. That's who Trey is, right? right? But can Keith be his own vocal leader? Depends on what you want him to lead. He don't have to get every free throw line situation, get them in a huddle and saying something. He's just got to be, he got to open his mouth when he sees something defensively. I think the point guard is going to be your natural leader on the floor, no matter who it is. But Keith's got to be the guy that has sort of overruling veto power in a huddle. Mm-hmm. You got to have that senior say, no, we ain't doing that. Yep, I've been but, here before. Yeah, every, every player who's been through the, the, the progression of freshman, junior, to get to the senior, they have the ability to go to coach and say, nah, let's run this because yep. they haven't stopped this. Yep. Whether it's them or they see somebody on the on the floor that has, you know, got it going, he's got to be able to say, coach, you know what, I, it's been six, seven trips down the floor. I haven't touched the ball. And I, I'm cutting, I'm doing whatever. And so coach be like, all right, let's run something for him. Instead of, you know, in his previous years, he would go to the bench, he would pout. Yep. He would do that little shake his head and all that stuff. And people don't understand him. They, you know. He believes he can really help the team. So mm-hmm. it looks like pouting, which it basically is pouting when he's not touching the ball, to where Jaron's out and you run some plays for him and he converts. And all of a sudden, he's not just attacking the basket from the play you draw from. He's offensive rebounding. He's doing all the other stuff. He's engaged. And at that mm-hmm. point, you can say whatever you want to him now and he's ready to listen and sure. be responsive. He's got to take that to the point where the coach doesn't have to run stuff for you. You still have to be able to... Uh, be engaged in the game plan. Let guys know where they're supposed to be on the floor at all times. We got some talented freshmen coming in. <clears throat> but guess what? Yep. They're freshmen. <laughs> you know, Al mistakes. McGuire said the best thing about freshmen is they become sophomores. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. You know? So it, we got some talented guys. They're going to have big moments. But I was excited last year about Jeremiah Davenport. He's the energy. A, he's still a freshman, though. Yep. He's, he was, you know, now as a sophomore, yep. he's looking to have a breakout year. But temper the freshman a little bit and let's start focusing a little bit more on the experienced players. Yeah. I think with Keith, I've always felt like this with Keith. Keith has always used his athleticism to find a good shot. Mm. Now he needs to use his IQ to find the great shot. Mm, that's deep. Yep. So I think, you know, I think he can do it. And I'll tell you why. If you look at the transformation mm. of his shot, his shot has improved a tremendous amount. Mm. He, he, he actually ch- – fully changed his shooting form Mm -hmm. that is not easy for a player who's you know 20 some years old that's been playing a certain way scoring so many points to actually buy into doing 20,000 30,000 reps in the offseason he bought into that so that tells me it's there yeah and he's one of the few in college basketball that when he drives to the hole he will dunk on you. <laughs> he, he he jumps over you. Melvin used to do this. They would hurt his shoot percentages a lot. He would jump so high, they would end up shooting like at the rim. <laughs> like Melvin's oh, feet would be me. at your waist. Yeah. You know, he jumped so high, 
hit that mid-range game, and it was hard to block. At that point, you just want you know try to put a hand up in his face because you're not going to jump up there. And Keith is that way, but he's got to learn how to how to post a little bit, how to get mm. his you know catch it in the block, that's a good, basket to basket. That's a great point. Turn around, jump shot. Use your height. I mean, use your ability to jump for your turnaround jump shot. Yep. Everything don't have to be all the way at the hole. And I think with the Brandon offense, with the curls that come from the wing that dive into the middle, with the baseline cuts from the guys that are, you know, reading, reacting, the, the ball that's coming your way, he's got to be able to catch it, stop and pop. Mm-hmm. Instead of everything going to the hole, running somebody over, or everything being a just spot-up three-point shot. It's got to be some mid-range, and the mid-range has got to be like, you caught it, you thought you had a wide-up lane, all of a sudden you see somebody there. Can you make the adjustment? Right. Without trying to, you know, shuffle your feet, travel, go around them. Can you just stop right there, raise up, and shoot? Yep. And I think that adjustment he's capable of will open up his game. I don't care if Keith talks a lot. I just don't want him to be the rotten apple thinking, I waited my entire senior year, and now you ain't running stuff through me. I don't want the same thing happen yeah, to him sure. that happened in previous things. I want him to realize that, you know what, what if he got 18 <clears throat> points a game this year? Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of guys on this team averaging between 5 and 12. Mm-hmm. A lot of them. Yep. And, yes, you're going to have – it's good to have a bunch of ballots, but when the game is on the line, who do you run plays for? And we need him to be that guy. Uh, just quick, totally off subject here. If you were playing in today's game and you played last year and you were playing against the Bearcats, how many charge Ten. calls <laughs> – Ten a game. <laughs> you need to get that one out. <laughs> Jaron would have the first. Come on, look. I tell guys, if you want to be it was a so star, predictable too. You want to be a star in basketball? There is a circle. We didn't have a circle when I played. No. It was you know I got so many. I'm looking at the film, man. I had so many calls that they were called block that could have been a charge call. But now, if you just get your feet out there, yeah, and then let the coach be all the arguing. Think about hugs arguing for me taking yeah. a charge if my feet are outside the circle. Right. These guys got circles, and every time down the floor, there's easily, you know, when if I'm guarding Jaron, Jaron's going left to right crossover. Mm-hmm. He's going right to right to left to get you off balance, left to right, and then he's going to go downhill. Mm-hmm. And when I see that, if I'm the weak side defender, I'm just going to jump in front of him because <laughs> he ain't going to pass from that point. I'm going to jump right in front. He's going to hit me. Uh, Trey Scott, he gambled a lot on the, on the block. But when he caught the ball, you know, he – there's just Chris Volt. <laughs> he gonna dribble, dribble, and he gonna spin back the other way. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, when I see that dribble, dribble. When I see that big leg go over there, I'm jumping over there. As soon as he swing with that elbow, I'm falling back. It's like it, <laughs> you said ten, <laughs> ten, five in transition, three and a half court, two on offensive fouls. I'm gonna. I'm when you posted me and you put your arm in my chest and you're calling for the ball, I'm gonna lift your elbow up to my neck. So when the ball comes, you naturally extend your hand to catch the ball. I'm going to lean back a little bit, and when they do that, the ref going to call the foul. So I did that several different times with players. Is that when they got that arm in your chest, just lift it up to your neck and then sort of let the ref know, and then when that ball comes, you just snap Boom. your head back because yep. they ain't really trying. You're just you you, you, you making their head do that, yeah. and when they see that, they instantly call a foul. I feel like the refs now want to call charges. Like they're, they're looking for it. In basketball now, oh, yeah, yeah. more than ever, like, oh man, I'm it's a to... powerful call. I referee, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. And especially <laughs> if you call it at the and you call it for the home team. Yes. Oh yes. man, and a referee, and the whole crowd like, yeah, 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 yeah. 
the referee's like, yeah, that's right. It's like an right. umpire when he calls that third yeah. strike. <laughs> that's it, that's it. That's right. You know how powerful that feels? Yeah. You're feeling power. You know, you take your mask off. You start bumping off the plate. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That felt good. Um, let's talk about Mamadou. Mamadou is an interesting. Um, the do. The do. Um, one of the uh, uh, this, he's another great personality. The social media star the, too. Oh, what a what a great great kid. He reaches out to me all the time just to talk, man. He's just a great personality. Um, what do you expect from from Mamadou this year? Because I feel you know, looking at the roster, there's a lot of guys that people are talking about, but they're not talking a lot about Mamadou. He's a redshirt junior. Um, what, what do you expect from him this year? I expect the blossoming of him. We saw snippets of it last year. And yes, was, we did. He was getting upset. I used to have, have talks with him on the road or on the, on the plane, like, you know, just be patient. Trey, his first two years, didn't play. Yep. Six, seven minutes a game. Then he bust on the senior's junior year. Then his senior year, he just, you know, he really took off. But your, your time is here now. Nobody on the team can do what he can do. He's tall. He can run out of the. He can. He's like run like a deer. Mm-hmm. He can jump. He can block shots. He can shoot the three. He talks on defense. The game has slowed down for him. You know, because when you're out I there, you that. see Jeremiah last year, and his eyes were big, and he was yep. doing all the motor stuff, hitting the ground, and yep. and all that. And then it's like, slow your little butt down, yeah, man. Right. This ain't this ain't this ain't high school. You know, you got to play at a certain pace, or you burn up all your energy and and uh, fake hustle. Yeah, you know, right, try right, to make right. everybody think you you down for it. No. You got to learn where to take your gaps and where, where to pause and get your rest. Mamadou is a guy that is a great uh, weak side shot blocker. He rebounds it well. And then once he rebounds it, he runs with the expectation to receive the pass. on the, He's running with his hands ready like, yeah. here it is, here it is. Right. And then when he don't get it, he ain't pouting. Like, yeah. he ain't, man. No, yeah. he comes back, he'll block it, get the rebound, don't get it, come set the on-the-ball screen. His activity is going to make a lot of people better. And I think it's the activity that he has. Understanding is going to continue to come, but the creativity that he's going to have in that offense that Brandon's going to showcase him, it's going to allow him to be used as a post player, as a back-to-the-basket player, a top-of-the-key face-up shooter, and somebody that can, you know, pass and do the other stuff. I just think his maturity level, anytime somebody plays, and this is his fourth year, third as a redshirt junior, mm-hmm. fourth year on a collegiate level, the weightlifting, the mm-hmm. nutrition, just had a child, mm-hmm. the maturity, knowing, okay, it's real. If I want to continue to harvest chickens back in my hometown, <laughs> yeah, that's called the chicken hawk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he harvests chickens and animals. He says he wants to be like like a, a, a big hoarder, not a hoarder, but a distributor of of farm animals back in his hometown. He, he wants to make enough money. To, he, he really said that? That's exactly what wow. you want to do. Yeah. There's other things you could do, Mama do. Yeah, but he, he's all about my people. You know, what can I yeah. do? with me to help my people yeah. and back there if you got animals you're wealthy yeah money is good but what do you need money for to go buy animals yeah <laughs> so yeah. you can produce your own food so he want he owned chickens he wants to own goats like <laughs> everything you name it we look at that like what yeah we went kroger we want to own kroger <laughs> stock he's like ain't no stock let's go get some let's go get some live chickens um now one of the things that um I think in the past, offensively, the Bearcat basketball program has struggled with, and that has been shooting. Mm-hmm. I think shooting specifically late in the season, NCAA tournament time, mm-hmm. right? We just haven't had the, the shooting shooters. 
it appears that you know coach brandon is 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 more so recruiting where you know you need your guys your athletic guys here and there but you, we, we need shooters right um i look at uh the gabe and mason Matson, the, mm-hmm. the two brothers coming in my understanding is um, they can absolutely shoot the basketball and i'm sure they're kind of the start of a trend we're going to see more from a recruiting standpoint of guys that can shoot the basketball consistently well. Well, Meach, you also have to have an offense that resembles your practice. Mm. Think about why, how shooting is rhythmic. It's, it's rhythmic. It's when you're in doing shooting drills, you're not catching the ball, holding it, faking left, faking right, then, then shooting it. Right. It's, you know, you're trying to get as many shots off as the clock is winding down. You know, you got you got two minutes on the clock. You're trying to get you know a hundred shots in or whatever in those in those two minutes. Whereas in the game, you're getting there. You're in your spot. This is your favorite spot. But now you got to wait. You got to let. You got to catch it. You got to see if the defense is backing up. You got to. So it's it's very few times you get a shot in the rhythm unless somebody penetrates and kicks it to you. Mm-hmm. In the offense that Brandon has, everything is moving. Everything, mm-hmm. the parts are moving and flowing. So when you catch the ball, he's saying, if you're open as a three-point shooter, shoot it. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to shoot it and you're a three-point shooter, you're coming out because yeah. you're hurting us. Yep. If you're a 40% three-point shooter from the left three-point line and they leave you open and you're and you're holding on to it and you pass it, you got to come out. Yep. Because somebody else, you're hurting the team when that's the best shot that you can take that you're confident that you're going to make. You're 40% from this spot. But in your mind, you know that's your spot. You think you're a 100% knockdown shooter. If you don't shoot that shot, you're hurting the team because mm-hmm. now you're going to take a shot you're not comfortable with. Yep. And, you know, the chances of that is not even 50-50. It's, you know, 20% because that's not your spot. Right. So he's going to put people around them in spaces that is going to increase their shooting. So when guys, if you're a transition three-point shooter, shoot the transition shot. Mm-hmm. Coach is going to say, give it up early so he can catch it. Man, I need a rhythm to get my shot off. Some people, are like, they don't want to dribble. Give it to me in the corner. When I catch it, it's going up. Mm-hmm. So Davenport, when he catches the ball in the corner, it's a corner three. That's one of his favorite shots, that left three-point line in the corner. Mm-hmm. So when he gets it there, you better get opposite because the shot's going up, and I expect the shot go up. And I, I look at this. I think your, your regular season, your conference tournament, everything's built up for the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. at the end of the day. The NCAA tournament is such – and I, I wish more coaches would just be honest and say – Listen, we've had a great regular season, but it all means very little if we don't do something in NCAA tournament. Because, I mean, you think about it, you go back and you look at some of the great, great recruits that we've had come through and wear the red and black. Their first time really watching Bearcat basketball was NCAA tournament. That's right. Right? So it's a, it's a great way for your program to be seen. Mm. The further along you play, the more people are going to see you. Right? Mm-hmm. So... Your regular season is really figuring things out and getting preparation for an NCAA run, which I think plays into what you were just talking about, and that's that offense. You know, having an offense and a system that is conducive to the NCAA tournament in 2021, like moving forward, the game's changed. The game of basketball is so very different. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about when you played and I played and they said defense wins championships, right? And defense is very important. And I'm and I'm from a defensive background. But you got to put the ball in the bucket, folks. <laughs> NCAA is putting the ball in the bucket. And I feel when I heard Coach Brandon talk when he got the job, 
and he talked about offensive efficiency for the NCAA tournament. Like he's sitting here talking about here's what what I'd like to do on the offensive end, but it was all geared so we could be in the final four and have a chance to win the the championship. I'm like, that's what I want to hear. That's what Bearcat fans want to hear. Absolutely. And the big games. So people hear about the Bearcats not just from the tournament but it's those big regular the non season non uh, non conference non conference games, games mm-hmm. is that you you see those in those big moments and you you want to see the Bearcats show up. Yep. <laughs> you don't want to always be the 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 bridegroom and never the bride. Yep. You know, always coming close. If I'm a team trying to establish, if I'm a Lipscomb, I want to play Cincinnati close. Mm-hmm. If I beat them, oh, that's program building. Yep. But if, I, if we look good, if we you know make them sweat down to the last five minutes, it's great for our program because mm-hmm. then we can take all this and we can show it. And I'm gonna keep editing when we're up by five yep. and make to make sure that stays in there because I'm building my program underneath it. When you're Cincinnati and it's like no, there's a standard that's already set here from generations past. We have to get back to advancing in the tournament. Mm-hmm. We have to get back to playing into the second round with a chance to go to the third round. You know mm-hmm. the final four and all that stuff. And so. If I love some of the athletes that were here over the last 15 to 20 years, we haven't had 16 sustained success in the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. over that over that time. We've had some great guys, guys who went to the NBA, guys that made the all top 20 scoring list, top 20 rebounding list, top 20 block shots list. We have a lot of guys that that donned that black and uh, black and red, but they haven't become legendary because they haven't taken their team. To a Final Four. Right. I'm, I'm not saying that you need the Final Four, but the the Elite Eight is when it's it's off. It's for the marbles. Yep. You get to that point where you're playing. When you get to the Final Four, anybody can win it. Yep. So to get out of that thirty, you know, the sixty-four, you know, we didn't even have the playing games back then. To sixty-four, to that thirty-two, that thirty-two, to that Sweet Sixteen. That Sweet Sixteen, it gets interesting because you get a couple of Cinderellas in there that all they can do is shoot the crap out of the ball. Loyola. We saw that with Loyola a couple of years ago. Yep. Shoot the crap out of the ball. And so when you look at this Lipscomb team that's coming up, man, last year they were 16 and 16, which was a down year from them. The year before that, they were 25 and 7. Mm-hmm. The year before that, they were like 26 and 7. I mean, they're, they've been a, a tournament tested team. They've been really, really good. They've had long, sustaining runs. Well, you lose after that run. You lose some seniors. You mm-hmm. lose some of your, your depth. You're trying to reestablish yourself. They're going to come in here with nothing to lose, and they're going to let it fly. And if Cincinnati's not in their game, they're going to be shocked to see that this team is on the door and they're going to have to play Bearcat basketball to win a game like this. People say, man, they're supposed to be smashing Lipscomb. They were 16 and 16. Mm-hmm. Dig deeper. Yep. They, they, you got new guys on our team, veterans on the lower level guys on other teams. You have veterans coming in against new guys. Veterans know some tricks. Yep. You know when you are a team that's coming in and you're not expected to win, but I got guys that have been through the fire last year. We had a down season. I'm going to come over here. I think this is the game we can shock people because this is their first game and they don't really know what they have. And it's interesting. So you're talking about the Lipscomb game Wednesday. That will be the Bearcats' first game. However, going into next Sunday, the Bearcats play Xavier in the mm. Crosstown shootout. And wow. Xavier prior to that game will have played five games. Five games. So what what so what's your thought going into that crosstown shootout so early the second game of the year for the bearcats um do you think that benefits you see um or do you think that hurts them a little bit and it's for not really game, their fault yeah. it's more so the the result it's, of yeah, covid just, yeah, stuff and it just is what it is yeah you know we, 
I think when you look at Xavier playing five games, they have the opportunity to work out some kinks. Yep. And they're still trying to find their voice. And right now they're 3-0, and but they've had to really overcome some early. Um, First game they look yeah, great. Second yeah. two, they, they yeah. yeah. And, and so it, they're figuring it out. Now let's just hope that Xavier stays healthy, Cincinnati stays healthy. Because the winner of this game, a lot of times, didn't go on to have sustained success in the season. Cincinnati will only play one game, which means that they're going to have a, a short window to take a look at stuff and get it fixed. However, they're going to have, you know, 40 minutes worth of tape. You can look at Xavier and craft a scouting report mm -hmm. based on because they have five games. So it's going to help Cincinnati from the scouting report standpoint mm -hmm. that they're going to know some of the guys, knows their move, and get yep. a chance to take some of this stuff away from them. Whereas Cincinnati, you're not going to know everything about them because you're going to have one game. The body of work is going to be different. You're not going to know what Tari Eason is capable of. You're not right. going to know what the Madsen twins are capable of. You kind of heard about them. You already know what Keith and Chris Volt is. You already know what Mamadou is to a certain extent. Yep. But they haven't seen these guys. So it could be really interesting if the fans were there for the Bearcats. Oh, this would have been perfect. Right. No question. You know, but I hate playing in a situation in the Crosstown shootout where we don't have that home court advantage. Yeah. So as a, as a coach going into that Lipscomb game, do you, you know, and obviously you want to win that game. You want to win big. But do you, do you know, do you tell back some of the things you do in preparation for the Xavier so they don't see? Yeah. You, you, you only run certain stuff? Yeah, you're not running a lot of your specials. You're yeah. running your continuity. You're running the motion. Um, you're going to put some pressure in. A lot of your pressure is going to be full court man-to-man -man with maybe some running jumps here and there. You're not going to put a lot of stuff in because you can't. You, you haven't had the time to put it in. Yeah. You get freshmen. You, get, you need footwork. You need slides. You need angles. You need a bunch of stuff to work on. And right then and there, you're going to call some of the stuff from your veteran players. Uh, you're going to see some early success from, from certain guys. But Keith's going to try to go out and have a monster game. Mm -hmm. Chris Volt's going to be like, absolutely, I want a payback game. Sure. Mamadou is going to be like, yes. Mm -hmm. So it's the other guys that, that know that this game can make a break your career early on. I want to see who's going to be the breakout. For Xavier, it's always some guy that's a freshman comes in and steps up. You're like, where did this guy come from? Yeah. And so it, we need one always. of those. We need one of those. I remember that one year, D. Davis came into the Crosstown shootout. Mm -hmm. Shooting like one of the worst percentages from three-point like line. Five, oh, he, yeah, he was like. <laughs> and I saw. I then I ran into D like three weeks later, and I'm like, "What the hell happened first?" You see, he's like, "I have no idea, man." He goes, "I was missing all those before. They sagged off me like they should have." Right. I just was confident. Um, but you're right. It's, it's always somebody. It's like, who? Who is that? Where are you? Um, now, now from Xavier, and I think the Xavier game, like you said, is always telling. It's like, you know, moving forward from that game, um, it's always interesting to see what the Bearcat basketball team does and, and how they kind of gel together. Um, they've got some great games. Um, hopefully all of them are played um, at Tennessee, at Georgia, um, some good non-conference tests, um, diving into the conference this year. Um, how do you view – um, well, first of all, let me ask you this before I dive into that. Do you think we'll make it through an entire college basketball season? Mm -hmm. I need your honest opinion. Well, what version did you want to see? <laughs> Do you think you think we'll see a start and stop? Will it go smooth all the way through? Because you could say, like, like college football, they're going to make it through. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of mm -hmm. cancellation start, but they're not shutting things down. Yeah. Um College basketball thinks a little different. 
I think it's a little different. Sure um, is. Well, so just give me your thoughts. Yeah, because in football, you know, a couple guys get tested Sorry. positive. They shut the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. So we're wondering what's going to happen with basketball. Yeah. Also, basketball, you can be a little bit more fluid, uh, such as a couple games ago, a couple days ago, you know, team, I think they get called up two, two days before and get flown in for That's a right. game. That's right. And so Cincinnati is down in their scheduling because a lot of their preseason was cut off mm-hmm. because of COVID. We're supposed to be in preseason in NIT in Brooklyn. That got moved to the bubble. The ESPN canceled those games. And so they, they don't have this preseason anymore or these early season games. So it'd be interesting if in the middle of the season – some team gets shut down because of COVID and they call Cincinnati and say, hey, we got this ESPN matchup. This other team can't come. Can you come out and play Virginia? It's crazy. In the middle of the, you know, you got <laughs> two days to work on it. It's like, this is supposed to be four days off. Yeah. But we can go get a quality win, pick up some cash in the meantime. Got to do Let's it. Let's go do it. Got to do it. So, yes, I think them having the space to say, we didn't have our early season games, but we're going to keep it open to the possibility of going somewhere and playing at a moment's notice with you know, a day or two of practice. And John will be like, let's do it. Yeah. When I grew up, Tarkanian, Jerry Tarkanian, and let me see who else that would go. Uh, Jim Beheim, two coaches that would play you anywhere. Anywhere. In the true one-for-one. One. You know, Tarkanian would be like, we'll even go two-for-one. Yeah. We'll come to your place twice. You come to ours once. But when you have your team, when you have a veteran team, yeah. that's the team you want to take on the road. Yeah. Yep. You got a young team. You want to play all your games at home. Yep. You know what's funny? And, and our producer here, Stu Stu Holt, he coaches AU along with me. I have an AU basketball program, and a lot of people a lot of times complain about AU basketball for different reasons. And it's just so funny to me. I'm like, high school and college right now is like an AU tournament. I mean, it literally is. Like, not a lot of fans, and it's like games are getting canceled. Go pick up games. Go play right. here and there. I mean, it's effectively what it's what it kind of has turned into. It's a crazy situation. You know, you look at Wichita State. Wichita State's a conference game on our schedule for January 9th with the Bearcats. Wichita State, and I think you were talking about this, they actually flew all the way to South Dakota to play a game. I think it was that tournament. Mm-hmm. They tested two kids or whatever, tested positive. They had to turn around and come back. I think that's where – like VCU or somebody slid in their spot or somebody got called up, something like that. But I, I just worry a lot of that's going to happen with, you know, this the contact tracing, COVID testing, the day of a game, and a guy gets it, that whole team's got to go and turn around. I hope we get to some normal and can make it through a season because I feel – and I think we've got a, I think we've got a good schedule, but I think this team really could – could have a really, really good season. And somebody asked me this on Twitter. I told him there's no way for me to answer this question right now. But I'm going to see if you think you can answer this. Do you think this Bearcat team is an NCAA tournament team? Yeah, it's too early. I told the guy, I said, I have one – we we don't know. It's just it's so tough to tell at this point. Yeah. You agree with that? Yeah. Talent doesn't get you an NCAA tournament. It's right. How you get that talent to jail? It's the coaching job. It's the breaks that you get. It's the injuries that you don't get. Yeah. That's better. <laughs> so it's with this is. year in COVID. Uh, it's just too early. I mean, think about this. From February 14th, Cincinnati plays Central Florida, uh, UCF. They don't play again until Sunday the 21st. At, uh, they play Houston uh, at home. Mm. So both of those games are home games. That's a week in between where you can have makeup games or you can add scheduled games in between there 
that they're going to be flexible with. Yes, you would like to take that time to get better for league, but if somebody says, hey, we have an opportunity for you to play go play. A, a regional partner two hours away, Ohio State has a break because so-and-so <laughs> got, can we get Ohio State in? Can we get Michigan in? Can we get somebody else in? No question. And if they're open to it, they have a whole week to say, man, you know, we've been pretty much healthy. We've been, you know, we, we, got, we got a weak slot. Let's get a game or two in there. And so you can still see Cincinnati – you know, maybe add some some stellar teams in there because at this point, if it's looking like they need some extra wins to get to the NCAA tournament or to, for their seeding, that that week they will add some. Mm. Is there any other players you want to? I know we just talked about the schedule for a little bit. Is there any other players you want to want to talk about um, that you're interested to see their progress or just even interested to see them? You know, on the court. Yeah, I know we talked Zach to Harvey. Zach had some moments last year. He you did. Know? I think injuries have always been his little bit of his struggle, you know, getting over some of those. But yeah, sp- speak on Zach. Well, you, 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 you're a AAU coach, and you understand with the organization with AAU, it's a lot of skill, skill players, skill mm-hmm. development. He's very skilled. He knows what he's doing. But nobody ever told him that he was a defensive stopper. Mm-hmm. He thought he was just a competitor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can play defense, and but I'm gonna, I'm gonna get buckets on him. A coach put him in a game and said, "You're the best at getting through screens and and trailing guys and and forcing them in tough shots." Um, I'm putting you in the game because of this. And so he became a really good defender last year, to the point where when he knocked down a three, everybody was like, "Oh, great! This is this yeah. is awesome!" Because yeah. he never looked to shoot. Yeah. Because he realized, coach told me. Jaron's going to be my guy. Trey is my yep. guy. Chris is my low post guy. When I come in the game, I got to go in there and shut that guy down from scoring. Yep. And so that, I want to see his offensive game. His transition offense has always been good. I want to see that development of him. I want to see the development of Micah Adams to mm. really, you know, he played with poise last year. Long-armed. Yep. Left-hand point guard that can defend multiple positions. Is he going to be that calm, steady, knock down three, back you in the post, do stuff um, as one guard? Uh, Mike Saunders, who Coach says the fastest point guard in Speedy. high school mm-hmm. last year, played on a team with, I think, six Division One players last year mm. and was able to feed everybody and get them going. And he tells you, I, I get much more joy out of a pass setting somebody up than scoring. So he has that general mentality like Justin Jennifer, but he's faster. He can score, but he's constantly speedy Gonzalez. Like, you'll have to stop him and say, run the offense, Mm -hmm. because he's catching it, and he's going to go, and he's going to look like he's going to score. He's going to draw it. He's going to kick it. He's going to run back out, grab that ball. He's in constant motion, and if he can come in, whether it be 10, 15 minutes, or whatever he's going to get, if he can push the pace for 10 to 15 minutes and force you to run with him and force your guards to play that way, then we can bring in another change of pace guard. We can bring in the Julius. We can bring, you know, there's different mm-hmm. sets that you can have. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how all that works. And then the power forward spot with, I'm telling you, Tari Eason is, he's interesting to me mm-hmm. because he calls himself a point forward. Mm-hmm. He can handle the ball. Uh, he can shoot the ball. But he plays with the fire. You know, he led his team as a junior to the Final Four. Then he went to another team back home and then ended up winning the championship, 3A championship. He was the best player in Washington. We came in there and swooped him up. Not Washington, not Washington State, you know, not any of the West Coast schools. He came to Cincinnati. And now you're going to see someone who at times will be showcased. In a, in a, in a season, somebody's going to look good the first six games. You'll be like, oh, I knew it was the season. All of a sudden, they're going to break, <laughs> they're going to drop off. And then somebody else is going to step yep. up. And I think Tari yep. has a 
a chance in a two, three game uh, in a row where people be like, this is his team. Do you think at 6'8", 215, obviously he's got to get a little stronger with Tari. Do you think he's a guy that will be here four years or a guy that could be a potential pro after um, you know, a couple years? Yeah, it depends on his development. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I love about John Brennan's system is it's NBA friendly because they're all playing this way. Mm-hmm. Open floor, yeah. cut, passing, um, multiple position players. And he's a guy that he can handle, he can shoot. If he can put on 15 to 20 pounds, which, you know, they're not eating in the cafeterias now, but, right. you know, you get that freshman 15, yep. he's already, his body, they look different. Their bodies look different. They've been stronger. If he can develop the three-point shot, if he can develop the ability to Draymond Green it, grab the rebound, push it, get everybody involved, or go straight to the basket, because he can handle the ball. If he can play with a fire that elevates everybody else around him, he's got a shot because people in the NBA want – Ignition starters. Mm-hmm. They want fire starters. Mm-hmm. They want when you when I put you in, whether a starter or off the bench. Because if I got a veteran team, I'm I'm looking to fill out my my six through thirteen on the on the NBA roster. If I got a veteran team, who can I put in mm-hmm. that will ignite the bench, ignite mm-hmm. the, the second team? And for the Bearcats, if he's my off the bench guy, when he's coming in, we should look much different. We should look like a team that's going to – because your big team, you're going to throw it down to Chris Volt. Mm-hmm. Well, you ain't pressing a lot unless Chris is in the back line. You know, he's going to come up, he's going to back up, go to the – but there's going to be times where you're going to have four guards and a forward, and he's going to be the forward being the guy that can handle the ball. Maybe you have Mamadou at the five mm-hmm. and Tari at the four. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have guys that can pick up full court, grab the rebound, take it full court, and either kick it out for a three or dunk on you. So, yeah, Tari is just – he's just different. I love, love to hear that. Um, by the way, I want to I want to make sure I'm going to say this at the this part of the podcast. I want to thank you, Terry, for helping me land several of the big interviews that we've landed for this podcast. One of which was Dontonio Wingfield. Mm, you and did. I had a conversation at Landmark. And you were like, I think Don would be a great one. I think he'd be willing to do it. And I spoke to Don, and uh, we did the interview, and, and a lot of people say that's one of their favorite mm. interviews because Don really is like, people were like, he's like the Loch Ness Monster. Like, nobody really knows Don, and he's just like mythological figure. And to hear him articulate not only his love for Bearcat basketball, um, his journey, he's at peace to where he is right now, and also, he said he would love to come back mm. and come to a game. I said, Don, if they brought you to half court, if it was non-COVID year and it was packed house, and they brought you to half court, and they said, we'd like to welcome back Don Antonio Wingfield. I said, that place would – the roof would blow off. He was like, no way. He's like, they don't even remember me. Stop I'm it. like, bro, you are out of your mind. Like, these people will, will go crazy. Um, you also helped out with Art Long. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stu, we did Art Long. Actually, he actually drove down, and we did the podcast live, yeah, which I wasn't expecting. And um, and Stu uh, was there for the interview, and and I don't really know Art. Like there were like very few Bearcats that I don't really know. Art and Don are two guys I just don't know them. And so Art literally shows up, and we just don't even know each other. And so he sits down and. Stu can attest to this. Probably the first five minutes, he was a little stiff. He had on, he had on his shades. He had on his uh, blue blockers, and he was <laughs> he was he was chilling. And then, man, he loosened up and yeah. he got going. He was so he's like petting good. the cat. Oh yeah, for, yes. <laughs> for sure. Yes. And, and you know what's crazy? Art and Don, Don since that interview, 
still keep in touch with me. Art called me yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don texted me the other day. So we still stay in touch and you've helped you know get a bunch of those so i I really want to thank you for that art calls me he's trying to get back down here so i'm looking for a place for him he's here uh yeah he's he's trying to he's trying to move down here and he's looking for you know two three bedroom house for rent possibly uh rent to own so all you out there who have a property (laughs) that you want to uh get him into uh talk to me call me and get him in there and tell him Tell them what you do. I meant to talk about this at the beginning, but um, tell everybody what you're doing right now. Well, I'm a real estate agent. I got into real estate. I started out with uh, Remax with Leanne Starks, Keep Starks' uh, wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she taught me the ropes. We were there for a year and a half, and then I went to Plumtree, which was a, a local branch. And then I realized that my home is with EXP because there's, you know, there's profit sharing. There's ability to have health insurance. Uh, I can build my own team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on the stock, the stock market. So we trade on the NASDAQ. So one of those things where I can pass on what I wanted to do with my kids. And so I started with my website is buy and sell with T-Nail. And so I like the buy and sell with T-Nail. You need a commercial, dog. It's coming, man. Come on. (laughs) I got to get something together. But I got to get some things together to, to, to really promote. I love the real estate aspect of it because, for one, there is no real estate insurance or some of the some of the two industries where you can start late in life and still make enough money over five years to retire for the rest of your life. Wow. Um, and it's just one of those things where if you can build enough clientele, you can help enough people, um, then you'll get whatever you want. And so in real estate, I'm really loving going in the houses, watching, looking at stuff, dreaming, um, taking people. When you have buyer's agents, you may look at 10, 15 houses before they want the house that they, they have. Mm-hmm. And every time you go into a house, you're going to see some empty, some that are cluttered, some that are rehab, some that are, so you can start seeing the vision, seeing the dreams, like being a coach, getting the team, you got all this talent. Right. How do I put it together? How do I make it work? So when I, as a real estate agent, I'm saying basketball, media, real estate, it all works together for me. When I look at the officials, Teddy Valentine's been doing this 38 years, going into his 39th hmm. year, and I ask him, how much longer you got? He goes, so they kicked me out the gym. Hmm. But he's making over a quarter million dollars a year for 50 games, and he's working from November to March or, you know, April, the championship game, if he ever makes it there. But then a lot of those guys do real estate. You know, they do insurance. Okay. So they meet people. They take them to, you know, have steak dinners and all this other stuff. They're on the plane. They give cards out. So they're getting money up front, and they're getting residual on the back end. Yeah. And everybody wants mailbox money. They want residual. That's what Jay yeah. Fresh used to always talk about, that yeah. mailbox money. And so one of the things about EXP in real estate is you get that mailbox money. You can mm-hmm. build a team. You get profit, sh- uh, not profit sharing. Um, mm-hmm. You get uh, revenue share. Mm-hmm. So if you go out and build a team and you get 20 agents on your team and they go out and they're doing 10 deals, that's 200 deals that you're getting paid off of that you didn't have to do the work for. Mm-hmm. That's why I chose EXP because I wanted to work smarter and not harder. I did all my hard work. My back still hurts from taking charges at the <laughs> at, at UC. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to be able to, um, and I'm gonna go back to school for urban, urban planning because I wanna build into Cincinnati. I wanna take my knowledge, and this is a couple years down the line, but I'm gonna take my knowledge and I'm gonna start doing rehabs for some of the park areas and the different mm-hmm. parts of you know, Evanston and Price Hill and all that. That's coming here in the next several months to a year where it's just how can I take the blight of Cincinnati, which there's a lot of different pockets of Cincinnati, take the blight, rebuild it back up, and then put 
responsible homeowners back into there that you're not necessarily pushing them out of their neighborhood, but cleaning it up and making it to the point where they can have something in their neighborhood that they're proud of. So how can people get a hold of you? Uh, I'm on all the social media, TNL33, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They can go to my website, buy and sell with TNL. I love that. Yeah. But you're not on TikTok. Not, you know, my, my daughter keeps saying, Dad, TikTok is life. You got to get on TikTok. <laughs> you can make everything. So, Well, Tina, I got to tell you something. The guy sitting right there, Stu, he got me on TikTok. Oh boy. Now, I, haven't, I haven't done any videos yet. But he pressured me. It was slight bullying, but he pressured me into getting uh, TikTok. So um, it don't. If I leave the room and he starts talking to you about TikTok, he's gonna pressure you. I just want to let you know that it's coming up, up front. Yeah. Or if your 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 shoot your kids might. I mean, your your son's getting ten million views, man. You might want to have him jump into the real estate game and pr- promote some stuff. That man. dude. Yes, man. He's he's gonna. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have. Yeah. There you go. You got you, you got some stuff for me right there. See, and I'm, I'm gonna say this about your kids real quick. I know, um, you know, occasionally I've been to Landmark and you're refing a game, and I would see your your son and daughter. They would work the clock, and your daughter always comes over to me. Mm-hmm. Like I could have my back turned, and somebody's like hit me on the back, and I turn around. It's her always giving me a hug, and to see your son's growth too. He's a great looking kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember him being just a little guy, right? You know, running around. He looks like a big time athlete. So. Um, and they're both very, very pleasant kids, so you've done a great job with them. If you train up a child in the way they should go, when they're older, they won't depart from it. So mm-hmm. if you try to mm-hmm. wait until they're teenagers, then they'll, you know, they think they got it all. They, they know it all. It when you got 18, man, they, they know it all. But when you, when you, like my kids have been exposed to greatness. I take them around UC all the time. They yeah. get pictures with, you know, every UC athlete and legend around there. They shake mm-hmm. people's hands. I introduce them. I say, these are the next Nelsons you need to worry about, you know. So I make sure <laughs> when I go places, we go to restaurants, whether it be the Montgomery Inn or mm-hmm. whatever. I introduce them to the people that are there, yep. and I say, you know what? A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A lot of times, people think that's money, but the best thing you can leave is a name. Mm. So if you mm-hmm. leave that name, you tell them, don't mess this name up, because right. sometimes the name will get you in places money can't. Absolutely. And I go places, and people still pay for my lunch or dinner or buy drinks for me or whatever because of what I've said on radio or TV or what they've seen me do over the course of my lifetime. Mm-hmm. They say, you know what, I just want to bless you and your family. So I tell them, wherever we go, you shake hands. If it's an autograph, you sign those autographs. You don't be running out the back. Yep. I told former players that, that are struggling right now, legends that play for UC, and some of them are struggling. I say... You know, just just take it all the way back to when you were a player, Absolutely. when you were so trying to get out the back door and run instead of coming out and signing 50 autographs of the same kids who wanted every week. Yep. Sign those autographs. Yep. Sign them. Because I get people now that say, man, you know what? Look at this. And they'll pull their shirt up. And it's a shirt from 1992 that I got my signature on it. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, yeah, man. I'm like, what are you doing now? I'm VP of this company over here. If you ever want to go to coffee dinner, here's my card. Yep. I'm like, I got an ally. Yep. I didn't know this 20 years ago, but now that kid was who was 10 years old, is 30 years old, and his dad dropped the company in his lap. And see, this is what, and Coach Brand and I have had several of these conversations. This needs to be an ongoing workshop with, I think, the current players. Mm. You know, what you just said, the current players need to hear that mm. from someone like yourself, because they know you. Um, I've talked to Art Long, like Art, other players need to come and tell their story 
to players because you can mm. pick pieces up from that, whether it's mistakes they made along or successes that they found and you drop and hand me down knowledge mm. Mm. onto these young players. We need to do that a lot more. By the way, Art Long called me. He wants to get all of us together to – he wants to start watching the Bearcat games together. That's awesome. Yeah, but I told him you do the, you do the game, so you have a tough time with that. But uh, So we got we got to catch up with Art. Um, this is great. As always, uh, Terry, you, you've got a lot of, lot of great insight. Always enjoy talking to you about these things. It's and, always fun. Um, the success of the podcast, um, you know, it's really grown. Uh, we're about to hit – 60,000 or something listeners. Um, I got to get a lot of props to Stu Holt over here for... DJ Stu, baby. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, DJ Stu. Well, you took something that was an idea that many of us had and ran with it. And once you did it, I said, I didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I don't want to compete against you know somebody who is doing something for the sake of UC basketball. Mm-hmm. Like There's a lot of fans that have podcasts, and mm-hmm. I've been on like three or four of them so far this year. But when a former player starts a podcast and calls it Cincinnati Bearcat Basketball Podcast, I'm like, okay, well, then how can we funnel that energy into that podcast? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, we don't need competition. We need to grow sure. what we have Thank and you. make it the best. But everything you do is quality, so I trust you with the people that we send to you. But then everybody needs to have their story told. One of the, the reasons that this podcast is so essential is because you dive into the lives of the Bearcats that people have been cheering for long time mm-hmm. you know and then people say I never knew that yep I never knew and then if they people some of the people knew not just the stories of the club and all the other stuff to the Bearcats what was actually going on in their life mm-hmm. how they get here what mm-hmm. was their journey here mm-hmm. some of their friends got shot some mm-hmm. of their friends got killed and the mom made them come here mm-hmm. and get out of the house you know uh, you know when we were in punishment back in the day your mom made you come in the house now, when they're in punishment, you make them go outside because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're in the it's house the entire time. Bizarre now, right? But now, some of these kids, some of these athletes that played at UC have top 100 players that are sons and daughters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, think of McClendon. Yeah, Roger. I mean, he had daughters that played collegiate volleyball at Penn State. And then they high level. Yeah, high level. Yeah. You know, and so when you look at certain things, when you look at athletes and how they train their kids and how they're going to the next level. When I see Steve Logan back in, you know, hometown now being integrated to the Cincinnati community, when I see guys like uh, Kenny Satterfield back Mm -hmm. here in Cincinnati, you know, and he's locally trying to stay connected. I tell guys, it's like the cheer song. Sometimes you want to go, everybody knows your name. Mm -hmm. You don't want to keep come to Cincinnati, make a name for yourself and then go back home. It's like, no, 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 that was your home. You're here. Stay where your resources are right. and then let the people help you go into a lifestyle to where now that you at a certain level, you can reach back and help other athletes. Once again, another message that needs to be told to our current players, too, which I think is great advice. And you said something earlier, too. Um, I interviewed Steve Sanders. Mm-hmm. Um, Patriarch. And released it, yes, on the anniversary, the 31st anniversary of his uh, shot in the shoe. And it was funny because, like you said, these are long-form interviews, so I really like to dive into the story of the mm. person, mm-hmm. right? And we're getting through it, and I'm like, Steve, and you can you can hear it on the podcast, I'm like, has anyone ever really interviewed you about your football career? Because we were, like, talking about his football career. And he's like, mm, not since I played. Wow. I was the first person to really – ask him about his football career 
how it went, what he did since he the day he played. Mm. Like no one's everyone talks about the shot. But what we discovered, I think, in that interview is Steve Sanders is one of the best athletes to ever come through the University of Cincinnati. If you really look at it, football jumped into basketball, was a starter mm-hmm. on the basketball team, having not played. You know what I mean? I mean, some of the things that he did, I'm like, he's remembered for the shot, but I think he should be remembered for being one of the greatest athletes to ever come through. And you brought that out. Yes, that was. But one of the things you also got to be cognizant of is all it takes is a moment to make you special, to make people remember you the rest of your life. It's true. Good and bad. (laughs) Good and bad. True. I mean, because you you interview Art about the horse incident and all the other stuff, and it's like all it takes is a moment. Toby. The horse's name was Toby, by the way. (laughs) Did you know that? No. It was Toby. And you were there for – Stu was there for the interview. Yeah, it was Toby. Art told us that – when he went to, uh, I guess it was the court mm-hmm. for, the, <laughs> you ready for this? They were actually, you, you heard this. They were actually going to bring the horse. Stop into court. it! <laughs> <laughs> get, uh, the, the horse is yeah. gonna lie on the. <laughs> put his hoof on the, on the Bible. You promised to hoof the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but. <laughs> I said, uh, if they would have hey. walked that horse in there. It's just over. <laughs> Art told us this with a straight face. <laughs> with the sunglasses on. Man, they was about to walk that horse into the courtroom. I said, the horse's name is Toby. His name Toby? Oh, Damn. Goodness. They about to put Toby on. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> I said, that the, horse would have been shaking up and down. Like, <laughs> Did Art Long punch you? <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> oh, that's uh, a classic. I'll tell you what, man. But th- thank you again, man. I know. Uh, that's awesome, bro. <clears throat> this is great. And I know one thing I thought I was telling somebody this earlier. You never like you played for the Bearcats. I played for the Bearcats. We know there's a there's a big base of fans, right? We've got fanatics. But I really honestly didn't fully get it until the podcast. Like, you probably understood it more so than I did. When I started doing the podcast and people started reaching out to me, mm-hmm. like sending me DMs, like, I was like, we have an unbelievable fan base. Mm-hmm. People were sending me pictures of their basements that were man caves, jerseys they had, right. stuff from 1991, right. like, <sighs> One guy sent me, oh, you signed me. He, to me, he told me I signed his basketball camp T-shirt and had a picture of it. Mm. I, mean, I mean, this dude is an adult now. That's right. And just stuff like that, it really touched me. Come on. And when I found that out, I said two things. I need to continue doing this podcast because of that. And then also giving our, our, our brothers a, a platform mm. to tell their story talk about what they're doing now because in a lot of ways their stories aren't being told and people just don't people just don't know them. Mm. <clears throat> I talked to Donald Little. Donald Little says no one had ever interviewed him about the no one has ever asked him about the situation mm. that occurred. Um you know I, I I asked several guys questions that, you know, I Yancey Gates. He said he has never publicly until our podcast talked about the fight. 
That was the first time. He gave mm-hmm. every single detail. He talked about the phone conversation he had after, you know, the fight with Kenny Freeze. I mean, stuff that no one had ever heard. I love that. And people, I had a, I had a kid that plays for Bellerman who, uh, you know, young guy, listened to the podcast with Yancey Gates because he played high school ball against him, so he listened to it. He was like, yo, that was amazing. He was like, I didn't even know, like, Yancey was, he seems like such a good dude, but I had a perception of him because of that fight. But once you hear the interview, your perception of Yancey changes, right? Your perception of um, Donald, uh, Antonio Wingfield, Art Long, changes mm-hmm. after you hear the person. Perception is not reality. It's what you perceive to be real. Yeah. And what you perceive to be real is based on previous information. Yeah. So when your brain sees something, it locks it in because that's all it has to go by until you bring new information. Yeah. People are like, man, I never knew this. Yeah. Because we just stay focused on what we see and what we saw. And then it's like the minute that you bring in new information to sort of color in the lines, you're like, oh, okay. And I think that's what the podcast has done. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. This has been great, man. It's always good, it's been bro. Great. We've got to definitely do this again. Maybe we do uh, mid-season, do something again. You should re-release that uh, Yancey Gates right before the crosstown. That would, that's a good idea. Hey, Stu, I like that one. Mm-hmm. That'll be that'll be good. Um, good idea. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna release this one before the Lipscomb game, so we can do that. And then that Yancey one. That's a great idea. Um, yeah, we're definitely we're gonna do it again. Um, Terry, as always, much success with uh, your family first. Absolutely appreciate you. Um, yep. Also your business, if there's anything that I can do. And it was your dad you. who I give all my honor and praise to because he helped graduate me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Pops, man, we, he was <laughs> – I had such a crazy, uh, you know, trying to graduate. And when I was playing with the Globetrotters, I came back and I said, man, this is not, this is not me being on the road. 30 days out of the month, you know, I, I can't do this. I called Hugs. I said, Hugs, I want to come back, get my degree. And you can make me a manager. You can do whatever. I just want to come back and finish my degree. He goes, I like that, T. He said, go see Dr. Meacham tomorrow and tell him you want to get back into school. So I see Dr. Meacham pull all my stuff up and was like, okay, <clears throat> we need to get you in night school. Because, you know, the day stuff, you don't need to be messing around with this. Night school is so much easier. Because mm-hmm. you can email your work in. You can be a little bit late as long as you had a, you know, mm-hmm. I was working and doing mail outs and stuff. And he said, you need these classes. If you knock these classes out, you'll have your degree. But you got to do it this time. You ain't an athlete. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> you got to do it. Yep. You got to check with me, you know, once a week. You got to come in there. So I would come in there once a week, sit down, make sure him and uh, what's, the, uh, what's the other, his assistant that was At there. At that time? Yeah. Uh, was it Bruce Ivory? Yes. Yeah, Bruce, Bruce Ivory. So we were sitting over there and, and I would come see one of the two and he would say, okay, you're doing good. What happened on this test? Come on, man. You got you to get it done. Mm-hmm. And so he would like he kept pushing me, kept pushing me. And I walked across that stage. And I'm like, you know, people are going to get a lot of praise for for this. The university is going to use this, you know, in their promotion, which they did in their brochures for a couple of years afterwards. I said, but, man, it was Doc Meach. Oh, man. His gentle nudging. It's like, you can Thank do this. You. Come on, man. Yeah. You, you got, he wasn't like, Terry, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, like, he was right. just like, you got this. Yep. Well, first of all, thank you. And um, I've heard that from so many players. Um along with yourself and he parented you know a lot like that you know and we and you know what we kind of needed that with um hugs was he yes sir. <laughs> his style and then you had my father was a, they complimented each other my father and hugs get along very very well to this day so i i, I, I thank you and I, w- I will share that with him and i did an interview with him 
on the podcast with some of his stories, and that was very, very well received. And I'm actually going to do a podcast, um, Terry, um, after the New Year's. I'm doing a podcast with the folks over at uh, the ANS department and some different people at the university about kind of the, you know, the marriage of the student athlete and and what are what are the tough things and the challenges that they deal with from administrative standpoint of making sure these players mm. stay on track and, and graduate? Um, that's that's a very very important thing um, because as you know the ball only bounces so long and you've got to be able to do different things. So you should get Dr. Joe Lucky on the podcast. Uh, th- th- we've already been we've already been talking about it. Yeah, because so. I'm so proud of the work he's doing. Great work. Um, you know, he tried to get it started when I was running the C club at the University of yep. Cincinnati, and we were doing all the get trying to gather all the information. My job was to you know update the database and find over 5,700 former athletes that are around 3,500 3, within Ohio area. So trying to find them, turn them over, and then trying to get them in classes to yeah. to come back and get their degree. But ever since then, man, you know. Um, we found out, you know, you had yours and meet myself. I uh, got mine earlier, but uh, Terrace Gibson graduates uh, December next week. A.D. Jackson graduates next week. Mm. They're doing Lou Banks has one class. Sweet, like, they're going through this whole list of the, the, all these legends yeah. that were like, you doing what? Yeah, put me in touch with them. Yeah, yeah. And so he's no, running sure. their information through this new algorithm, and it's like, okay, this new program. You only need one class. And guys are like, I thought I'd never get my degree. Yeah. Dermar Johnson. Dermar. Yep. Kenny's next out of field. Man, it's just when I see that. So that would be a great podcast. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with you. Um, So we're we're definitely going to do that with Dr. Lucky and and Lisa Holstrom and and everyone over there. So I'm excited, excited for that because that's another side of, I think, athletics that people, you know, kind of need to hear because you go to the games and cheer and you wear your Bearcat gear. But these players, man, they, they go through a lot of trying to balance both sides. Fuqua would be another guy for you. I know he's at Ohio State. Yeah. But yeah. He's at Illinois now. <clears throat> Illinois. Yeah, but just yeah. having him, his journey, who he worked with. Yeah, for sure. That's true. That's true. He, he's another great one. He's a great dude. Great dude. Once again, T, appreciate my brother. And I got you some Penn Station coupons there, free subs, Love free it. fries for coming on. So you can uh, share that with the family. Come on. Eat it up. This is date night material, bro. Oh. Buy one, get one free. That's what I'm saying. Ah. Baby, I got you. It's a $20 date that's going to last the rest of our rest of the weekend. Well, thank uh, my brother, number 33, Terry Nelson. I want to thank everyone for listening to season two of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Once again, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, BigMeach41. And I'm now dancing on TikTok at Alex Meacham41. I appreciate everyone listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats!